The Lord really orchestrates everything because Taylor didn't know that we were going to sing everything, the song, right? And that song went with that hymn. And that wasn't orchestrated because we did that one at the last minute. And then at the breaking of bread, the brothers didn't know we were going to be talking about sacrifice and what the Lord gave for us and how it's all going to tie in. And it doesn't just happen by coincidence. It happens by divine appointment. It happens according to the Holy Spirit. And so we're thankful for that. But that's a beautiful song, the melody. It just prepares the heart to receive the word. Shall we just open in prayer? Father, we're so thankful that you are alive and well and working in our lives. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that is in us. We thank you that you work through your word. And we pray that you will speak forth through your word, Lord. I'm just your vessel. And I just pray that you will hide me behind the cross, that you will speak through these words, that they will not be my words, but they will be heavenly words that you have ordained and that you will speak to us in a big way today and touch our lives, convict us, Lord, challenge us. And we just commit this time to you. And we ask this in Jesus name. Amen. Many of you have heard of Philip Brooks. He was a great preacher and man of God. And one time he said this, it does not take great men to do great things. It only takes consecrated men. And that is so true. All it takes is someone who is willing, someone who is surrendered, someone who is consecrated, dedicated to the Lord. And the sky's the limit. The Lord can work through us in a powerful way by the Holy Spirit. All we have to do is show up. All we have to say is, Lord, here I am. Send me. And he will use us. And God is looking for committed, dedicated, surrendered, willing and obedient men and women to serve in his kingdom. Remember when Gideon had the army. It started off so great. They had 32,000 volunteers. They showed up. They were ready to go. The Lord says that's too many to deliver Israel from the enemies of the Midianites. So then they whittled it down, down to 10,000. Then finally they whittled it down a little more. They got it down to 300 men. You're going to send these 300 men against this huge army of the Midianites to defeat them? Yes, because the power is not of you. It is of God. And when we realize it's not about our words, it's not about how well we speak or how fluent we are, as we saw in the Scripture memory class today, What's important is the Holy Spirit takes the word and uses it. He uses us if we're willing, if we're clean, if we're surrendered. He will use us in a major way. You know, nothing valuable in life is ever achieved without hard work, effort and sacrifice. The story is told of Franz Kreisler, who is a famous violinist. And he testified to this point when he said, narrow is the road that leads to the life of a violinist. And I know Adam and many of you who are involved in music can know how many hours of practice they put in. He says, hour after hour, day after day and week after week, I lived with my violin. There were so many things I wanted to do that I had to leave undone. There were so many places that I wanted to go that I had to miss if I was to master the violin. The road that I traveled was a narrow road and the way was hard. You know, we're not violinists. We're not into that thing, but we have the Bible. And just as he took the time to master 
the violin so that he could play beautiful music before thousands, so too we should have with us every day the Word of God. Whether it's in the printed form or a tablet or a smartphone, you've got the Word of God. And even more than that, we need to write it on the tablets of our heart. We need to memorize God's Word and meditate on it so it becomes part of us. And so when the opportunity arises, we can share it with others. And that's what the Lord wants us to do. Well, there was a lady that came up to the great maestro after a concert and told him this. He said, she said, I'd give my life to play as beautifully as you do. And his answer simply was, I did. In other words, he gave his life. He just described it. He gave his whole life to being the best violinist. Do we give our whole lives to be the best Christian? To be the best servant of the Lord? To give our all to Him? That is the question. And the title of our message today is Living and Giving. Living and Giving. The Lord wants us to live a life sold out to Him. And he wants us to give everything, as we sang in that song. Not just our money, although we'll talk about money. Not just our time, but our effort and everything to present it to the Lord. When we get up in the morning, Lord, here I am. Use me. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And when we do that, he can do great and mighty things through us. He can do great and mighty things. And we don't limit him whatsoever. And these two great principles of the Christian life are so simple, living and giving. But if we just practice them, we will be blessed and others will be blessed. Let's turn in our Bibles, look on the screen. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 today. 2 Corinthians 8, we're going to read the first five verses. We studied First and 2 Corinthians before. It's a blessing. Let's read it together. Here, Paul, writing to the Corinthians in his second letter, says this, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they also first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. May God bless the reading of his word. Today, we're going to look at three things. Number one, they gave generously despite their circumstances. Number two, they helped other believers they never even met And number three, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to the apostles. These Macedonians, Macedonia at this time was a region. It was located in northern Greece. And we're going to see on the map, Ed's going to show us on the screen where these churches of Macedonia were. And there's six of them that I'm going to mention. These six churches in Macedonia were totally committed to the Lord. And these churches were Philippi. We're studying the Philippians, right? Philippi was one of the churches of Macedonia. Thessalonica was one. Neapolis was one. Amphipolis is one. Apollonia is one. And Berea is one. These were the six churches of Macedonia. 
And they were located there in the ancient world. Now, Macedonia still exists today. A small country is called Macedonia, but it's the Balkans. It's near where Alex was. That's where you're from, brother. That, that region now, that's that whole area of the world. And it's just amazing how the Lord works. And the Holy Spirit had directed Paul to go to Macedonia. And he did it in a supernatural way. If you have the time later on, go back and read in Acts chapter 16 and you'll see each and every opportunity along the way. The Lord was opening doors for Paul and he was closing doors like it says the Holy Spirit led him this way. And then it says the Holy Spirit did not permit him to go there. And so all through this chapter, he was yielded to the Lord and what he was doing. And in chapter 16 and verse nine, we see a vision of Paul. That came to him. Acts chapter 16 and verse 9 says, And in a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Isn't that amazing? Paul was in the ministry, dedicated to the Lord, led by the Holy Spirit, and the Lord gave him a vision in the night, and he saw a man of Macedonia very clear. Come over here and help us. And so Paul got together with his companions and they traveled to Macedonia and they led people to Christ and they planted churches. And all six of those churches were strong Christians. And it's, it's absolutely amazing. All because of the Lord giving Paul this Macedonian call. The Macedonian call is still a term used when God raises up missionaries to go out to the foreign field and serve the Lord. It's called the Macedonian call. And the worst thing that can happen, the worst thing that can happen is for someone to go to the mission field who's not called. That's true of any ministry, but also especially of the mission field. You have to be called. And when the Lord calls you and confirms it through the leadership of the church and he confirms it with his word and he confirms it with the circumstances, you've got the call to go. And so whatever ministry the Lord has given you, he's called you to it. He's called me to it. And he wants us to give our all to it. Not partially, not mostly, but the whole thing given to the Lord. Yes, we've been studying about Philippians and it's amazing how the Lord wrote this letter. Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians. He wrote two letters to the Thessalonians and he speaks of this little church of Berea in a very beautiful way, because when he was being persecuted there in Thessalonica, he left Thessalonica and went down to Berea. And we read about it in Acts chapter 17, Acts 17, verses 11 and 12. And it says these there in Berea were more fair minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. I like that that little church at Berea. I don't know if it was little or not, but it was a church in Berea. And that church has affected many people today in such a way that we now have a high school. I believe it's Walnut Creek. It's in Walnut Creek, right? Berean Christian High School. We've got like five or six of our kids that go to that school. And part of their verse for that school is this passage here in the book of Acts. That's their goal. That's their verse. They search the scriptures daily 
to see whether these things were so. Now, it's great to come to church. It's great to hear messages, listening to Sylvia's women's Bible studies, Adel's Wednesday night messages, Sundays, all these things, devotions. But if that's all you get, it's like Adrian Rogers was saying on Wednesday night, that's not enough. You're going to starve. You can't eat one meal a week and survive. Only Adel can do one meal a day. He does that. But, you know, most of us need at least three meals a day every day. Right. And so we need to feed on God's word that just like the great violinist. He said, I spent time with my violin. I played it. We need to spend time in the word of God and on a daily basis, let it feed us so that we can then feed others and be an encouragement to them. So I really like what was going on in, in, in Berea. And they were one of the churches in Macedonia. He's got the map now. Great. There we go. You see the region of, Thess- of Macedonia there? Philippi, Amphibolis, Thessalonica, Berea, Apollyon, Neapolis. All that area. And Paul went there. And you can see where Corinth is. You can see where all the cities that Paul went to. But he had a special love for those churches in Macedonia. He loved them. And they were great Christians. They were dedicated Christians. And we're going to see what they were all about. And when Paul went to other churches, like he went to the to the Corinthians and he wrote to them, he mentioned the Macedonians. He bragged about them because they were they were a dedicated group. They were a committed group. And so we see in this chapter and right in verse one, moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. If you want to have a great church and you want to have a godly church, we need the grace of God to be bestowed on it. And we thank God from the beginning of this church, which goes back to back to 1978 when it was started to the present day. Still to this day, it started on the word and prayer and it's continued on the word and prayer. And it's never going to stop being on the word and prayer because it's built on Christ and, and it's built on his word. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And so these churches built their their lives, their hope, everything on Jesus Christ and him crucified. And we see in verse two that it says that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. That is amazing to me. These people gave. Were they rich? Were they well to do? No. In fact, it says they were in poverty. And yet still they gave. Still they gave. And they didn't just give their money. They gave everything, their time, their effort and everything. And Paul was impressed by it. I like what the New Living Translation says on this verse. It says they are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. And I'll say that right now. Only a spiritual Christian who's walking with the Lord can rejoice in these troubles and trials that come. Can rejoice even when you don't have money, even when you don't have health, even when you don't have all these things. That joy comes out because it's not based on our circumstances. And that's why these Macedonians teach us a great lesson that it's not about our circumstances. We can be a blessing to others in our circumstances in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling, whatever it is, we can be a blessing. And these these were committed Christians and they did it for the Lord's glory. Some people say, only if I only had more money, I would give. No, you wouldn't. Because if you don't give when you have little, you're not going to give when you have much. 
It's so true. That's a principle. If you don't give when you have a little bit of money, then you're not going to give when you have a lot. And the same thing is true. When you have a lot of money, you give a lot. But it's a blessing. And that's where the joy comes in because it's what the Lord has given us. Everything we have is from Him. Whether it's our money, our time, our efforts, our resources, our possessions, everything. It all belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to Dean. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to you. It's the Lord. It's the Lord's house. It's the Lord's car. It's the Lord's possessions. It's the Lord's money. It's the Lord's time. It's the Lord's everything. All belongs to Him. So for us to hoard it, whether it's money or any of those other things, we're holding on to something that doesn't really belong to us. We're, we're misers with our time sometimes. We're misers with our efforts, with our money. And the Lord wants us to give as we have been given. And what have we been given? There's that word everything again. He's given us everything. All things have been given to you because all things have been given to Christ. And He has given us so much. And so there was joy in living for them and there was joy in giving. They had both in their lives. And what example did they follow? They followed Paul's example, yes, but they followed the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look over to, to the ninth verse of this chapter, 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9, this shows the example that they followed and they took it to heart. It says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Do you think that verse had a meaning to those Macedonians? Do you think that it affected them? Yes, because out of their poverty, out of their weakness, they gave and they served the Lord. And it's so beautiful. The Lord Jesus Christ Never had a single penny. Isn't that amazing? Because when Peter came to him one day, he says, Lord, should we be paying this, this poll tax, this temple tax to, to the Romans? And, and he says, well, tell me, Peter, who pays the tax? Is it the sons or is it the strangers? He says, well, the strangers. He says, nevertheless, lest we offend them, go down to the sea, Peter, get your rod and reel, get your fishing gear and go to the sea and get a fish. And he said, go and you're going to find a coin in its mouth. So he went fishing, right? I'm going to put in for all these fish, right? We're going to find one fish that has a coin in its mouth. Is the Lord able? Yes, he's able. So Peter goes, the first fish he finds, sure enough, there's a Roman coin, just enough money in that coin to pay the tax for, for Jesus and to pay the tax for Peter. And Peter was amazed. The Lord, though, he didn't have he didn't have these things. He had one coat, one outer garment that they gambled for on the cross. He never carried money. He didn't have that. He didn't have any of that. And yet he was the greatest giver because he gave his life. He gave his life for us. Taylor was singing about that in this in this song. We sang about it at the breaking of bread. We sang about it in the hymns. The Lord gave everything for us on the cross. He died in our place. Aren't we willing to give everything to him? Aren't we willing to say, Lord, here I surrender everything. I give it all to you. It's challenging. It challenged me. It's convicting. It convicted me. And that is what it's all about. One of the verses that I love so much in Philippians, and we'll get to it when we get to the fourth chapter, but it's Philippians chapter four and verse four. It's one of my favorite verses. It says, rejoice in the Lord always and again I will say rejoice. Is it possible to rejoice in times of trouble, in times of difficulty, in times of pain, in times of loss? 
Yes, it is, but it's only by the Lord. We can't do it ourselves. We can't do it ourselves. And we don't rejoice in the pain that we go through, but the gain that's going to come as a result of it. And that's what the Lord does. And in verse 3, he tells how they gave. It says over here in verse 3, For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. Oh boy, they gave according to their ability and they gave beyond their ability. That is amazing. Now, I want to clarify something. It doesn't mean that they took all their money that they needed for rent and for groceries and for basic necessities of life and all of that. That's not what the Lord is talking about at all. But they gave their lives to the Lord and they gave their offerings to the Lord too. And he used it in a big way. And they gave until they felt it. They gave until it hurt a little bit. So many times we come along and we give whether it's in the offering or our time or everything, we give kind of what's easy, kind of what's convenient, what's pleasant for us. We don't like sacrifice that much to give it. The Lord is about wanting us to sacrifice. It should, it should hurt a little. It should, we should feel it a little. And they felt it in a one, in a, in a way like that. And it says that they gave according to their ability. Yes. And beyond their ability. And it says they were freely willing. Paul didn't come to them and have a sermon on giving and then say, okay, I want to sign up all you folks who want to give to this, this ministry that we're going to get an offering here going. No, he didn't do that. He taught it. He spoke it. He talked about giving our lives to Christ. He mentioned Christ as the example. He did all of those things. They freely were willing. And that's what the Lord looks like. He looks at our hearts. Because you can give, but if your heart's not in it, it's vain, it's empty, it's worthless. He wants us to give whatever we give, not just money, but whatever we give. He wants it to be with the right motives. He wants us to give it freely. And he wants us to give it for his honor and for his glory. Yes, the key to giving is our living. And the key to our living is our giving. The two go together, hand in hand, living and giving. And that's why over in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7, the Apostle Paul again speaks about motive here and what's what's in our hearts. He said, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. That's the choice. Are you going to sow sparingly or are you going to sow bountifully? And then he says in verse 7, so let each one give as... He purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know, these Christians what I, are what I call three-mile Christians. And I'm going to explain what that means. The Lord Jesus said in, in the Gospels, He said, if someone asked you to go one mile, what did He say? Go with them two. That would be great, right? You're a two-miler. You, you, the Lord says, if somebody says one mile, you go with them two, Right? Well, these Macedonians, they took it to a whole other level. They said, we're not just going to go the one mile. The Lord said, we're not going to just go the two mile. We're going to be three mile Christians. We're going to go beyond. We're going to give more. We're going to give all. We're going to give our hearts to this. And that's what they did. So that's why I like to think of them as three mile Christians. If the Lord asks you to do something, you go, you do it. You do it above and beyond. And then you do it even further. And that's what the Lord wants. 
And it's not me. I'm not preaching this to anybody but myself and in what he wants us to give and how he wants us to live. Secondly, they helped other believers in need that they had never met before. These Macedonian Christians had heard about a need in Judea. In Judea, they were struck with a famine. And of course, they also had persecution and they had people losing their jobs and because of being Christians and so forth. There was a lot of need there. And so they were taking a collection to send to the Christians down there in Judea. They had never met them. They didn't know them. And yet they had this willingness to give to people they never met. They never knew because they knew they were believers in Jesus Christ. There's a camaraderie. If you meet a Christian and maybe they go to a different church, you meet him at work, you meet him at school or whatever. Doesn't it just bring joy to your heart? Because they have the same faith we do. They believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, today's the day you need to accept him as your Lord and Savior. He went to the cross. He died for you. He took your sins. He died in your place so that you could have eternal life. And by accepting him, you become part of the greatest fraternity, the greatest group of people, true believers in Jesus Christ, it supersedes denomination. It supersedes different countries and language groups. And one day we'll all be in heaven and we'll all speak the same language and we'll be able to have that great fellowship with our Lord and with each other. It's amazing. And so these these Christians there in Macedonia, they made it very clear to Paul that they wanted to give. And it says that in verse four, imploring us, Paul's writing about him and the other brothers with him, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of ministering to the saints. This verse is very interesting. It tells me something. It tells me that probably Paul was a little reluctant to take their gifts. I think he might have been because he says these Macedonians are poor. They have somebody that needs to give to them. They, they're poor. They have a lot of trials and troubles. I don't want to take from them. Let's go to some of these other more wealthy churches, right? So I think the Macedonians said, Paul, no, no, Paul. We want to give. We want to give. And they gave out of their poverty. They gave out of their need. They gave to the Lord's work. And Paul was so impressed by it that it says they implored him. And this word implored really means begged. It's a Greek word, which is the word deome. And that word is the same word used by the demoniac when when he begged the Lord to go with him. And the Lord says, no, go back to your home and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. And that man had begged the Lord. And so these people begged Paul. They entreated him. They implored him to take this gift and use it for the glory of God. And that's exactly what happened. They considered giving not only their money, their time, their effort. They considered it a privilege, not something they had to do, not forced to do. They considered it a privilege. Do you consider giving what you give to the Lord a privilege? Do you consider your life of service that you pour out for him a privilege? You know, Franz Chrysler, this great violinist, even though he's talking about all the sacrifices he made, he wouldn't change anything. He, he would do it the same way because he realized to do it, he had to master that violin, he had to give everything, and he did. And that's what the Lord wants us to do as well, to be that way. If you look over to 1 John chapter 3 and verses 16 to 18, this is a pretty convicting passage too, it really is. But it says this, 
1 John 3, 16 to 18. It's one of the great 316s in the New Testament. And then the two verses after it. It says, by this we know love because he laid it down his life for us. So there's the example of Christ again. And then he goes on to say, and this is John writing, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed or in truth. And, you know, I've been guilty of that before, too. You know, some big need comes up and we're talking about praying about it. Sure, we're praying about it. But if we have the means to help in that situation and we don't, it says, how does the love of God dwell in that? We don't. So he says we have to be willing to give if we have the means. He's not saying if you have ten dollars, you give give it all. No, but he's saying we give our offerings to the Lord. In the Old Testament, they gave ten percent. Every Christian, I believe, should give at least 10%. We should be beyond that, though, in the New Testament after what the Lord has done for us, but at least that. But our hearts need to be in it, and we have to give our all to Him. Yes, they gave themselves. They gave their all. And I really like when you go look back at this passage in the 8th chapter, that they went beyond money, they went beyond everything, because they gave their hearts first. Back to chapter 8, verse 5. It says, And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So these Christians, they, they gave despite their circumstances. They gave to people they didn't even know. And they gave their hearts first. And then they gave to the Lord and then to the apostles. It's amazing. They gave their time. They gave their talents. They gave their treasures. They gave it all. And they knew that there was going to be treasure in heaven for it. Remember what the Lord Jesus taught. He said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he summarized it with Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 which says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's amazing. So, you know, you can look at your bank statement, right? You can see how much you have in the bank because you've deposited more into it. You you do, you know. But one thing we don't know exactly is how much treasure we're putting in our heavenly bank account. Only the Lord knows the total of that. But everything we do for the Lord, everything we give for the Lord, every service, every ministry, whether people see it or not, whether it's visible or not visible, everything we do, he's going to reward us for it. And he says, you're laying up treasure in heaven and you're going to see how much it is when you get there. I know when I get there, I want to have a lot of treasure, just like the Macedonians. These Macedonians had a huge treasure house in heaven stored up because of all the things they gave and all the things they did. May the Lord help us to lay up treasure in heaven and not be so worried about the things of this earth. That song that Taylor sang about the idols that we have and the things that we let come between us and the Lord. That's not good. And all of us are guilty of that. Letting things come between us 
and a fully dedicated and committed life. May the Lord help us. It is convicting. But let's remember the lesson of the Macedonians. They gave generously despite their circumstances, despite their poverty, despite their troubles and trials, despite all of those things they were going through. They didn't let that stop them. And secondly, they gave to believers they never knew or never met and maybe didn't meet again until they got to heaven. But they gave and the Lord saw it and was encouraging them. And then finally, they gave first their hearts to the Lord and then to the apostles. And that's what it's all about. That's what he cares about. And he can see inside our hearts. He knows our motives. He knows if we're willing. He knows if we are going to give it all.